This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Adam Jones and Sam Carroll as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park heading into a significant, to say the least, game with West Ham on Saturday lunchtime. Michael Silver describing it as a must win uh, as he feels the pressure of four straight defeats and has a huge question mark over his long-term future at the club. Um, I don't, I've been asking this myself and had a conversation with a number of people this week. Marco's spoken about how he, how he, he feels the atmosphere and, and the support of the home fans is going to be crucial on Saturday, you know, obviously, especially given the circumstance, and it's something that he's been conscious of since he joined the club. How, what do you think the atmosphere is going to be like? Um, it's intriguing, isn't it? Because the last time Silver had a sort of run of form like this, uh, the first game back after that break at Goodison, and at the very least was a, a Merseyside derby. Mm. So the atmosphere was always going to be good for that one. But I think for that game, that was probably the most electric I've heard Goodison Park in years and years. You know, the fans the, the fans were kind of probably buoyed a little bit by a midweek win over Cardiff, quite a comfortable win as well. So, you know, I think that, that no doubt helped. But I think the fans in general, just that was a show of defiance from them. They stood up and said, right, well, we'll no, we're going to, we're going to stand behind you. We're going to try and, you know, force you into a good result. So, you know, if the, the, the fans could could do that again. Like, I think we've shown uh, throughout the la- the closing stages of last season, you know, some of the atmospheres that they had, you know, you know, that Chelsea game, the Arsenal game, Man United game, atmosphere was absolutely bouncing. So, you know, if, if, Ever- if the Everton fans can create that kind of really good atmosphere, you know, even before the side and hits, you know, that could really buoy the players. What's, I think. What's, what's your gut telling you? Uh, my gut's telling me that it's not going to be right. as as good as uh, as it was last season because you know this is Marco Silva's second, I'd say, really bad run of form. Now the pressure is really on him, and I think this time more than last time, you can hear, you can see the opinion on him is starting to shift a little bit. So under this sort of increased pressure, there's there's no doubt that that's going to seep into the fan base as well. I really hope that the fans can create that kind of wall of noise, but I, I can't help but feel that something will be a little bit distracted from it. But I think at the end of the day, it all it all depends on how well Everton start the game. You know, if Everton come out the blocks flying in the first five, ten minutes, fingers crossed, get an early goal on, on the score sheet as well, then I think that the atmosphere could be amazing and then that'll carry the team through the rest of the game but you know if we see the kind of performances that we've seen against Sheffield United and against yeah. Burnley even though I think Everton started actually quite well against Sheffield United Did, but yeah. couldn't couldn't take advantage of it but then that's the issue isn't it that seems to be the issue with the team in the minute mm. don't score first that tempo and that all those good intentions mm-hmm. that they do often start games with mm. just dissipates doesn't it well that's it and and We've, you know, we've said it for months and months on this podcast. Now it's a, it more than ever. It's looking like a two-way street now. The, you know, the, the players need to perform on the pitch mm. to be able to earn that sort of atmosphere from the fans, and I think they're going to have to do that more than ever this time round. And they're going to have to put, you know, we've, we all know that Everton have got major goal scoring issues so far this season. They kind of need to put that behind them against West Ham. They need an early goal. I think more than ever 
because as I say, if they if they do if they do secure that, then I'm sure the Everton fans will drag them through to a good result, regardless. But if they don't, then it could really be a difficult afternoon in that sense. Sam, what's your feeling on 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 how it'll sound and feel around kickoff and in, in the early part of the game? I think the, before kickoff, it'll be it'll be good, and I think you know the supporters are desperate to to get a reaction, but. You know, I think as you wrote in one of your pieces this week, it still needs to be a two-way street, and the problem is, is that a lot of the time now, it's 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 not a two-way street, and obviously the back end of last season it was because we were getting the results that the performances deserved, but this year has been the same. We've been getting the results the performances have deserved because they haven't been good enough. But I think now, as Adam said, it's a second bad spell, and I think almost supporters now are just sick of the of the whole kind of. It's almost like Groundhog Day in the sense of you know promising starts that quite quickly fall off a off a cliff. You know we we've seen it now with Martinez, we've seen it now with Cumin, and and we've seen it at the start of this season with Marco Silva, and he stressed it, hasn't he, that you know it needs to be a quick start, it needs to be a start that gets Everton on the front foot and hopefully gets us a goal because you know I think back to some of the games, especially under Martinez, you know I think I remember the Dynamo Kiev one. We went one 0 down, and and it, it it was it was not an enjoyable experience to to be at the, at the game at that point. Do you know what I mean? Because, <laughs> funnily enough, we did end up coming back to win, but people quite quickly grow tired of of the same old things, don't they? And and, and now for the whole of the season, really, we've been watching the same shape, the same sort of personnel, and the same kind of performances. So, I think it'll start well, and I think it'll it'll do well if if the team performs, and and we get that two way street, but. I really just think that it, it's going to be so, so, so difficult if, if West Ham score and if we're losing with the game going on because it gets tense, doesn't it? You know, we, mm. we, we feel it all the time when we go to the game whenever I'm performing. Sometimes I don't think the atmosphere sometimes hits the levels as much as it can because, you know, the, the sports are tense and, and, and right now we're tense because we lose this and we really are in, in a position of, you know, when you look at that December run of fixtures, you You'd be stupid to think that we weren't in a little bit of trouble. That you know, we, you need points, don't you? And and that's what we've got to start doing tomorrow. So so hopefully we do get that two way street, as I've mentioned. Hopefully you know we're we're kind of on the the first step to recovery because I think it'd be a shame after the work we've done last season, after some of the work we've done in the transfer market for us to implode the way we kind of have done in the last four Matches. I think what's interesting is that, like you know, the Allardy- in the Allardyce era, the atmosphere it's a real, like sort of low point. Like every every, like misplaced pass was getting you know big groans and boos and everything <coughs> like that. I think what was interesting about that Sheffield United game is, whilst it was obviously frustrating to watch what Everton were doing in the second half, I never got that sort of sense from no. the Goodison Park crowd. In fact, I think. The crowd were trying to yes. cheer, like egg them on and cheer them on, and that was something that Silver was mentioning after the full time whistle. He was saying there was no need for the players to be as nervous as they were. The fans were completely behind yeah, them. Yeah. So it'd be intriguing to see if that happens again against West Ham. You know, it, like let's say the worst case scenario happens and West Ham take the lead inside the first 10, 15 minutes. It would be interesting to see how the crowd responds. Will they respond in the same way as they did in the Sheffield United game, or you know? Obviously, that Burnley result after the Sheffield United game could have had a massive effect in that sense. You know, will that will that change things? You know, it's, it's the danger, isn't it? I think the last couple of managers that I can remember, it, it is kind of a lot of Allardyce was just pure apathy. I think once he'd won those first couple of games when he came in, we all knew we were safe. We weren't particularly happy that Allardyce was the manager, but 
you know, even though he was going into every press conference and saying he he was, I think a lot of people were kind of dependent on the fact that he wouldn't be the manager next season. The, the concern that Silver has got, if it, as Adam says, you know, obviously you don't want it, but if West Ham do score, once apathy starts turning to anger, that that has usually been when Ken Wright and, and Mashidi have been forced into making a decision. You know, the the Martinez last couple of games, you know, and and, and the protest at, at Goodison Park and. And Cumin after after Arsenal, you know that was quite, you know, a, a, a moody atmosphere after after getting beat five two at home. So, you know, at the moment, I think we are still kind of in a position where the 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 consensus is that we you want Silver to succeed, you want him to do well, because it did genuinely look like certainly heading into this season, you know, the club had a plan. There was a plan between Brands and Silver. There was a plan of how we wanted the team to play. Players were both for certain positions to to play a certain style of football, and maybe even a certain formation. But at the end of the day, it's still a, a results based business, and I, and I just don't think that if we lost the next couple of games, anyone at Everton or or Marco Silver himself could have any complaints with what the outcome would probably have to be. Um, so, what sort of team does the manager have to select to yield fast, positive, threatening start to the game? <laughs> do, do we have anyone left to pick? Well, we've we've we're just discussing this on the way back from Finch Farm, and you know, it's it's going to be an unpopular <coughs> opinion from me. And like for one for want of any of my better judgments, I just think why not just try three at the back? Like I know I know it comes with issues. I know like that it would leave us without a senior option at centre back uh, on the bench, but. I just think it would be a good way to be able to reintegrate Mason Holgate back into the team. I think having three centre-backs and two wing-backs would make us at least that little bit more defensively solid, hopefully help with our organisation in terms of uh, set-pieces as well, because I'm sure that that's an area that Pellegrini will have been working on with West Ham. And I think it just could be a way to unlock a bit of our attack and talent <coughs> further up the pitch as well. I think Gilfie Sigurdsson, uh, as important a player as he's proven, for for Silver since he's joined, I think he could do with maybe being dropped to the bench. Don't think he's been performing no. up to the standards that we all know that he can hit. And I think if any player in the squad is performing like that, then they deserve to be dropped to the bench. And it's not as if we don't have players that can come in instead. So I would play a midfield, well, four with Dean and Sidibe wing backs, uh, Gomez and. Fingers crossed, Delph would be fit. He didn't. He didn't necessarily not ruled him out yet. He's not ruled him out yet. So fingers crossed, Delph would be fit. But if not, then Schneiderlin uh, alongside Gomez, and then I'd play a front three of Richarlison, Iwobi, and Moise Keane. So you play three four three. Three four three right, okay. uh, would would be the way I'd go. I think that's just got. We're getting a lot of attack and talent on the pitch in that sense. I think you're freeing up Luca Dean down that left flank mm. because you know we all know he's our best crosser of the ball. He's been probably one of our biggest chance creators uh, over the season so far. So why not just give him free reign down that left flank to do what he wants in that sense? Uh, and I, I just think having Iwobi and Richarlison as close to Moyes Keane as possible would be a really good way to get him properly fit and firing uh, in the Everton you'd, 11. You'd start Moyes Keane in, in, you know, despite obviously he's got tons of potential, but, you know, we've not really seen anything my opinion, anything really tangible to say that he's he's ready to start a game of this significance, but you you would play him, yeah, because I, I I still just think 
the best that Everton have looked going forward so far this season was against Wolves, okay. and he started in that match. And yeah. I think he was like he didn't get him on the score sheet himself, but I think he the role he played was pivotal to the way Everton were able to break Wolves down. And I know like we'd be playing a different system if we like if Silver was to choose this three four three, but I think it would allow Gomez to get forward a little bit more and maybe fill in that role that Sigurdsson was playing mm. against Wolves that day. And then I just loved the way Keane, Richarlison and Awobi were interchanging against yeah. Wolves. I th- thought they had a really good connection with each other. They showed that against Lincoln as well. I know it's against League One opposition, but you know you can only do it against what's in front of you. Yeah, and I yeah. think they, they impressed me uh, in both of those games. So I'd, I'd give them the opportunity to try and do that again. And I know it's a risky formation, but... At this point, you might as well take a risk because it's not working the way it's been going. It's a difficult one, I think, isn't it? Because obviously, <coughs> excuse me, Marco obviously knows that he's kind of in that catch twenty-two of things haven't been going to plan. So we probably have to change things up. But failure to get a result and his job is potentially on the line. And and sometimes in situations like that, it's best going with what you know and and what was tried and tested. If if you look at the back end. Of last season, you know, and it's not a bad idea from Adam, but I don't think he's he's, he's gonna do it. You know no, what I mean? I, I don't. Th- I don't think he's yeah. gonna do it. Like, yeah. it'd, it'd be what I want to see. But I think I think going on a mix of probably what I'd do and, and and what I probably expect is that it's gonna be Pickford in goal, Dean and Sid to be the fullbacks, Keen and Mina. I'd like to maybe see us try something different, but again, a game of this magnitude and. And throwing Tom Davis into the mix, I know he's, you know, by now an established Premier League player. I just, I just not sure about that. I think maybe Schneidlin and, and Gomez or Gomez and Delph, if we can, if we could do that, would be good. <clears throat> I, I put a Wobie in the ten. Mm. Thought he looked really good against Sheffield Wednesday. I think he's he's energetic and he's strong and he's direct. And I, I love Sigurdsson and I feel like I've dis- defended Sigurdsson to the hilt. And you know, seeing those kind of shiny sky statistics this week, the he still created the third most chances in the Premier League this season, but there's still a time when you've got to see something more. You've got to, you need a little bit more than that, and especially when the going's tough. And I think this is why I always have an issue with Schneiderlin as well. That when the going's tough, you know, you need your central midfielders to do things for you. You need your central midfielders to roll the sleeves up and win tackles, or in Sigurdsson's case, roll the sleeves up and say, "Right, I'm going to get us a goal here. I'm going to take the game to them and and get the ball in behind them." And, I just don't feel like he's he's been doing. Do you feel, doing that do you feel that the issue with Sigerson's actually the pace at which he's playing the game now? In terms of the, there's probably a strong argument to say that the the team aren't getting him the ball quick enough. Yeah, but equally, is there an issue that when he does get the ball, he's taking too long? It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because this, all the statistics are, are still saying he's creating all these chances. So that's because he's taking our set pieces, though, isn't it? Yeah, maybe, but you know he's still kind of up there with with others, and it's hard because I just don't know what it is about his game that, that has changed. I think you know there's been a lot of players, hasn't there, like in in the Premier League era, who kind of deficiencies in the game have been masked by by goals and assists, and and, and you know he, he's a similar player in terms of that's kind of Tim Cahill way that you know when Cahill went through those couple of seasons where he wasn't scoring as much, and you kind of thought. Hang on, what what does he do in, in the team then if he if he's not scoring and and that's what we've been presented with this season because you know last season he'd go a few games without a goal and maybe there was a few whispers and he'd score a few or mm. set a few up and all of a sudden you noticed him again and and I just thought last season he he, he linked up well 
You know, he started to build nice little partnerships like Bernard and Richarlison. And and he kind of has something that no other Premier League player has. But, but this season, you just can't keep getting away with those sorts of performances. And I know Everton can't really afford, even now, to be to be throwing forty-five million pound players on on the bench, but I just think for for the game, you know, you get a Wobie in the middle, you you know that he's going to get the get the ball, and and, and the first thing he's going to want to do is is go a goal and, and and get Bernard one side, get Richardson on the other, get a bit of pace out there. You know, I think Bernard on his day, although we haven't seen enough of his days, I still don't think since he signed. But you know, on his day, he frightens people and he, he's energetic, and you know, there's always something there with Richardson, and then. Whether it's Keane or Calvert Lewin, I just think that's a, a dynamic from four. I just think we're losing a bit of a bit of that when when Sigurdsson plays. Do, do we feel that maybe <clears> if and it's obviously it's a significant if if Delph can come through and be past fit and you would therefore inevitably expect him to play alongside Gomez only for the second time? Do we feel that actually we will see Sigurdsson get the ball quicker and more? Rel- there'll be a more reliable um, sort of line of service to him than if it had been. Delph and Schneidlin or Gomez and Schneidlin or or any other combination? You'd hope so, because uh, over the last few weeks especially, you've seen Schneidlin picking up the ball from the back four and his instant response seems to be to either turn round and you know give it back to one of the defenders or to pass it sideways mm. or his, his, his instant thought isn't really to look to Sigurdsson. And I would argue that Sigurdsson's so, like, sometimes to blame for that as well. I think yeah. against Burnley in particular... There was such a gap between Schneidlin and Delph and Sigurdsson. Sigurdsson yes, was essentially huge. playing yeah, yeah. as like a second striker. There was like 30 or 40 yards in between them. So it was making it a bit difficult for Delph and uh, Schneidlin. Uh, hopefully, if it is Delph and Gomez, then Sigurdsson would have the sort of confidence to be able to drop off that little bit more, You know, find those gaps in between the, yeah, the back four and the midfield yeah. that he operates so well in. And you know the, the quality that Delph and Gomez have got with the ball at their feet, they'll be able to find Sigurdsson in, inside those sort of tight little areas. So, yeah, you'd hope that it would be it would be beneficial mm-hmm. to him. But I think if it if it were me and we were to stick with that same system, I would I would agree with Sam. I think Iwobi is a bit more of a dynamic option because yeah. you know Sigurdsson, for all that he's good at, he's not the type of player who's going to pick the ball up and then you know run at players. He's gonna he's not going to take people on and you know try and create chances that sort of way. He's going to be looking for that little passing behind. And I think Iwobi can find that passing behind, but he's also got that sort of added benefit of, you know, being being that big, strong, pacey, yeah. it, uh, skillful player who can you can just run through the middle of teams if he wants to. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I feel like Iwobi should play, although as I'm, as I'm saying this and as I'm listening to, to your very valid arguments that I agree with, I'm also thinking about football, um, London Stadium last season, one of the best performances we produced under Silver. And I remember just thinking then how Sigurdsson dominated Declan Rice. There was a lot of hype, understandably, <clears throat> about Declan Rice. He was on the rise, and Sigurdsson taught him actually, mate. This is ha- this. Is, I'm a proper number ten, international level. This is what you're up against. I seem to remember Andre Gomez having a really he good did. game in that game. Really as well, good yeah. game. But that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? That you know, you're looking all the way back now to Sigurdsson. To that game, I'm just using that because it's, it's yeah. West Ham, isn't it? And well, yeah, that's suppose, why I, I brought so. that up. But yeah, well, maybe, but I don't know. I, I also get the feeling that he, he will play. You know what I mean? I and, think he'll play. I think he'll play, and I think it's the kind of game where, as you're saying, he could put on a, a, a proper showing. And I suppose if he does, then that just kind of heightens the discussion around him more. Can, can you have a player who sometimes doesn't turn it on for? 
the first quarter of the season and, and then suddenly does, you know, and, you know, I, I agree what you're saying in that, you know, he, he did have a really good game, that game, and, and I know Gomez did as well, and, you know, you, you're going to have to really hope all 11 of them have, have, have a good game, but it, it's just so strange, isn't it, with Tickerton? I think he's had one of the, the strange and Everton careers kind of, of of the modern history. You know, he's our star record signing. Yes, isn't he? yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I know he's our record signing, and, you know, I think a lot of people felt sorry for him in the first season because we, we were pretty poor. And Allardyce seemed to have a thing for playing them left midfield, and, and Cumin did as well because we had that kind of surplus of of tens. <coughs> and uh, and then second season, you know, obviously Silver got the best out of him, and now again, there's I think this is the first time he's he's truly been been doubted. And you know, I'd say probably Sigurdsson might even think he gets a little bit of a hard time sometimes. He was still our top scorer uh, last season. I don't think he's half as bad as what some people like to make out because maybe. He's, you know, your classic number 10 nowadays are small and nippy and, and do a lot of kind of, you know, got a lot of skills and stuff like that. And that's not Sigurdsson's game. And I do still think that sometimes this season he's been underappreciated. I think we spoke a little bit about that Wolves game, didn't he, where he seemingly really started to connect with players around him. And, and he's a clever player and pulls a lot of space out. But, you know, he's he's just never kind of really had that, that consistently exceptional run that you'd expect to get from, from a record signing, has he? And... I think that's probably the most difficult thing for Silver tomorrow. You know, he, he's he's going into it, and I don't know apart from really Pickford, and, and some people will probably argue this with me. You know, no, no person's place in the team at the moment is is guaranteed from the performances that they've been showing. Maybe bar Luca Dean, I think. Yeah, you, you could, and yeah, you mean yeah, but you could make a case for anyone else, kind of. You know, seven, eight changes, and at this stage of the season, to where we thought we'd be, it's it's a strange one, isn't it? And, and hopefully. The team he does pick just just gels together. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I think it's interesting looking back at the game at the London Stadium last season. I remember the game at Goodison Park last season as well. We played Guy and Schneidlin in the in the midfield too. Yeah. And I remember West Ham just dominated us again. It was that sort of same Burnley problem where there was about 30, 40 yards in between. Uh, Sigurdsson and then Guy and Schneidlin mm. and West Ham just absolutely thrived in that midfield and, and the ball wasn't sticking with Jenk Tosin yeah, up front yeah and exactly Mason, and, uh, Mason struggled that game, game as well yeah, yeah. and Yarmolenko you know took, took, took full advantage Yarmolenko's <laughs> in form again isn't he yeah. coming, in, coming into this game so it's going to be a scary prospect but like hopefully you know Silva can learn from his mistakes from that game and uh, and, and I was just going to say also Looking at the at the uh, the way fixture last season scored early, yeah, inside five minutes was yeah, it? Sumer. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, we need a big, big Yeti Mina Heather from a corner. Well, it'd be lovely, we'll, wouldn't it? Yeah, we well, can go and miss. Um, go on, Sam. No, I, I was just kind of saying, you know, when you when you do look back to last season, it's it's a strange one, isn't it? The you know the, those performances was the West Ham game. Kind of March, March, April, March, time, April time. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you know those those performances just seem like an absolute lifetime away, and, and the squad hasn't massively changed, especially when you consider you know just Dubai- remove re- the removal of two key players, isn't it? And- uh, yeah, I th- I, yeah. No, sorry to interrupt. I think I, th- I actually you almost are beginning to wonder. Yeah, look, the the removal of the option of a of a third proper senior, and I'm and I'm sort of saying Mason as a younger centre half, but the removal of the option of a senior centre half in Zuma doesn't give the manager that ability to drop Keane, for example, if he wanted to. But 
for me, as we as we go on in this little run, you just look at Guy, who you were going to mention there, and his absence, and the fact that the midfield's in this horrible kind of injury cycle and go you know round and round in circles. He's been huge, huge mm. miss. I think that that West Ham game at Goodison last year was one of the biggest times I can remember Gake coming for real considerable criticism because mm. you know it was his pass for the first goal that yes. got cut out yeah, and they yeah, scored yeah. from it and people started saying you know this football that Silva wants to bring in you know we can't have a player like Gay we need a defensive midfielder who can who can do it all and you know Adam I think it's been me you and B is doing analysis at the at the games this season I think in every single one of them you could have just reserved a point for how much we've missed at just a Gay and, and yeah. as you're saying I think you know, I don't know if you were watching it, but I watched that kind of PSG Real Madrid game, and mm. it it was just Garner all over, wasn't it? And, and people almost seemed surprised by it. And I think but for us, we we were like, it's just what he does. But isn't it isn't it correct to say that actually his his improvements from that point, for example, in terms of what he was doing with the ball to how he yeah. finished the season was massive. Mm. It was, but the, and and I also don't think that the biggest thing is is I just think we really underestimated just how key a uh, uh, cog he was in just terms of how good he is at that position of of getting in those little spaces winning the ball back in in key areas and guarding that back four you know he, he was an extra layer ahead of them wasn't he yeah exactly and I think we've obviously you know we Jabaman could come back and, and be 10 times the player Gray ever was and, and we, we've just been unfortunate with, the, with that injury but at the moment it, it it just hasn't worked out, and I think but, when Silver first came in, he stressed the importance of that. This kind of, you know, the number six in the, in the midfield as well. And at the moment, I, I just don't think we we've got one, or or maybe well, we. He's, he's on the treatment table, isn't he? Well, mm. but this is what I mean, and, and that's not Silver's fault, is it? And, and that's not anyone's fault, really. It's just it's just pure bad luck. But I think there'd be a lot of Everton fans willing to cut an arm and a leg off to have a just a, a game back. A, a, for a game like this tomorrow because they, they were just the kind of games he was perfect for, wasn't he? And, and people didn't like playing against him and it, it wasn't because he was a, a big hard man or anything like that. It was just because he, he, he knew that role inside out and, yeah, I mean, we are just, just missing him. Um, I was going to speak about Gabamin. Um, it's been, the club have said around three months and our understanding is that that was, that's, that's as it stands, roughly what, what it's going to be. But in in reality, is it going to be longer before we see Gabamin fully fit in the team every week? Because he still needs to get to grips with English football. He still needs to get match fit. I mean, I mean, sort of a doom, doomsday scenarios. But he's effectively writing off the, the majority of the season. Yeah, almost the whole season. And I think I think he's played what 135 minutes. So far this season, yeah, and uh, you know, towards the end of the Wolves game, no, not Wolves, Wofford, Wofford sorry, yeah, yeah. Towards the end of that Wofford game, I thought he was starting to look a little bit more comfortable, starting to pick up the ball in the kind of areas that we'd be expecting him to, and he was distributing it well enough. I think he made uh, in the first half. Did he track Delafeu back? Was it possibly where when he gave the ball away, and you know that drew a big roar of appreciation yes. from the Goodson Park crowd. So you know there were signs that he was. You know, he was he was starting to pick up English football fairly quickly, which I think we can take a bit of a, a bit of half from. But you know, he's going to be coming back in January time, let's say, like at, at, at the best mm. sort of estimations. You know, that's it's a it's a it's a hectic time. 
Like let's let's say fingers crossed Everton is still in the FA Cup. Fingers crossed Everton is still in the League Cup as yeah. well. We like it. It could be an absolutely bizarre sort of run of fixtures that Everton have got. So you know, welcoming them back would be would be good mm. over over that sort of period. But, but you, you, it's the that, expectations it. you, 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 of him being back and how much of you you, know. you, like you'd need him to be back and firing instantly. And I just think that's. That's far too. That's far too much to expect mm. from you know. He's still, Relatively still, young. he's still a young lad, isn't he? Well, so how old is he? Twenty three. Twenty four now. Twenty four now. He, he's still a young lad coming over to English football for the first time. We all know how hard it is, you know, especially in that midfield. You know, you've, you're playing against some really big units, some energetic players. You know, you've got such a wide variety of different players. Who play in each specific team in the in the midfield and across the Premier League? On the back of, of what we've just had the discussion, he's not soft. He will be fully aware of the expectation of the hole he's filling in the team and who oh, he's God, replacing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then you will you will find some people who are, who might be expecting him to be playing like Idris, a guy right from the off, and yeah. like I'm sorry, it's just not it's just not going to be the case unless he's unless he comes back in some sort of exceptional form. Then that's just not going to be the case. Men- mentally, it can be tough as well because if he's not due back from January and, and Everton maybe have a target in mind who they think is realistic and, and we sign them, and you know hopefully he comes in and does well and, and Gomez is playing well and Delft's playing well and Schneiderlin's playing well and maybe Davis had a chance. You know this young lad now who you know was brought in to be a first teamer could could walk in and be like. Hang on, <laughs> I might be struggling to get on the bench here. You know, which would be difficult, and you know, it probably won't happen. But at the same time, there's there's going to be a lot to it, isn't it? The, the comeback isn't just physical; it's going to be tough for him. I think you know, having to watch the team struggle when he when he probably feels like you know he could be making a difference. And you know, I suppose when you when you sign for a team and you kind of go to bed and you're thinking about you know influencing the team positively and and all these kind of good things you're going to do and. Your first six months is, is spent on the on the treatment table. It's it's difficult, isn't it? And, you know, it is. Just sometimes you just think, is it always Everton? But you you wonder how much the fact that it it was such an innocuous injury as well. You yeah. wonder how much that might play into like because you know when you're a twenty three, twenty four year old football player, you don't think that you're gonna get you, you you're gonna spend five six months on a treatment table after taking a shot in training. Mm-hmm. Like it, it it's just it it's an absolutely bizarre way to get injured and. You know, you've you've just got to hope that something like that. I, I, obviously, I'm not a football player. I don't know whether it would, but I can only presume that's got to have. It's got to be playing at the back of his mind. Mm-hmm. He, he must be thinking, if I could just if I can get injured doing that, yeah. how else am I gonna how else am I gonna maybe get injured? So you've got to hope that he can you know push that mental side of things to one side as well. So I, I think what you what you're saying is right, Phil. Like it, it could it could like relatively speaking rule him out for. It, well, in terms of getting them back to full fitness and full form, it could rule them out for the majority of this season. And, and as uh, Sam alludes to, it was our sort of understanding this week that the reaction to um, Gabamon's latest sex setback uh, is likely to, to see the club at least have a look and see what's available potentially in January. You would imagine on loan um, rather than spending any money, you know. So at least they will have a look and see if there's anything that could bolster the squad in that area. But let's see, and we'll we'll, we'll bring you that as as and when and if anything materialises. Um, just quickly moving on because I think it's important to speak about this person. We expect them fully expecting to make their Premier League debut tomorrow. Uh, Sidibe, um, are, we, are we confident um, that he will be? able to fill the void, if you like, and, and, and take over. Um, you know, look, 
Coleman hasn't had a particularly good season, but we all know what C- Coleman brings and what he's about. <clears throat> We're confident that Sadibi can 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 cope with Premier League football and 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 be uh, be a good replacement. I've got no doubt that he can't cope with Premier League football when you're someone who's won the league with you know a, a kind of unfancied Monaco compared to PSG. And I know he wasn't exactly a, a regular in that World Cup squad. I don't even did he even get on. <laughs> I think he had one game maybe. Yeah. 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 So you know, part and part of a squad that has won the World Cup, fairly probably the strongest generation of players France yeah. have had for a long yeah. time as well. Yeah. So. so you know, he's, he's gone in there and done that. So there's there's no doubt, and, and there won't be any doubt about him mentally either. I don't think he's when you've played in those sort of games. I can't see him being like the kind of fella who his knees are going to be trembling at, at Goodison <laughs> tomorrow. But I think he will also understand what a massive opportunity is because I don't think he's quite taken it just yet. You know, I, it was his first game. Uh, against Lincoln, wasn't it? When mm-hmm. we went, I, I don't think he kind of set any any in the light there, but he, he did definitely grow into that game. Yeah. Uh, and and I haven't really seen much of him then in in the next two games against Sheffield Wednesday. But he did get that quite inventive assist for Calvert Lewin. It was it was some ping for that goal. You know that's promising, and he didn't seem to particularly put a foot wrong against against Burnley when he when he came on. Seems to just do a quite standard job, but. It'll be interesting now to see if you know. We really want to see him have that performance where you go, "Hang on, there's a player, there's a player here." <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. <laughs> yeah, you know, stop that. You want, you want to see the kind of performance where if Coleman's like flicking through the player ratings after, and he sees like Sadibi now, and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> you know," and, and and that's what he's that's what he's gonna have to have to bring to the table. What, if, if, if our right backs having a nine out of ten game, then that bodes well. Yeah. yeah, but that is generally, you know, as you said, Phil, and and I see some. Criticisms of Coleman online, and, and again, like Sigurdsson, I think some people can go a little bit too harsh, and uh, you, you can't always say, "Oh, he used to be like this and he used to be like that," because you know he probably tell you himself he's not the the player he was probably when he first broke into the team and for that little five six year spell he had. But you know, Coleman is still a, a dependable Premier League right back, and 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 to to beat that, you know, Sidibe's going to have to be a, a good Premier League right back, and I think <coughs> a little bit like. The way as soon as you watched Luca Dean play last season, you were like, "Wow, we've we found the right man here to replace Leighton Baines," and and I want to kind of see that with Tadibi again. You know, he, he does look like he can be quite versatile. Looks like he could probably play in a centrally if we absolutely had to. Looks like he could probably play at wing back if we wanted to play a five, which which always bodes well. But again, you know, when when you talk about some of the wingers West Ham have, he's, he's going to have his work cut out at times, and he's he's got to show that he can stand up and be counter for us because. I still don't think as good as we can play. This isn't going to be a game where it all goes Everton's way and everyone's going to have to be on the game and, and obviously the, the other four lads in defence won't be used to playing with them as much as they are Seamus. So you've got to hope this is where you know Jordan Pickford's always very command on the pitch and you know speaking to Michael Keane a couple of weeks ago, you know he, he kind of spoken about becoming more of a leader in this team. So you've got to hope that those lads can, can guide Sidibe through it and, and hopefully Sidibe can pull out a bit of Magic like he did against Sheffield Wednesday, and you know, a couple of assists will uh, will do me. <laughs> <Couple>. No pressure. <laughs> no. Um, okay, then very briefly, we're we're running out of time. But um, Adam, what does a win do for Silver? What does a win do for the team? What does a win do for the feeling um, around the place? Well. As Silver said in his press conference like a couple of hours ago, you've got to hope that it's the turning point mm. because you know the run of fixtures that we've had up until this point was actually 
fairly favourable. And we were saying in the summer, look, this is a real chance for Everton to get points on the board here. Uh, that's not happened. Uh, this is probably one of the tougher fixtures that Everton have had so far this season, especially with you know West Ham were on a six <laughs> game, six, West Ham were on a six game unbeaten run until they got beat by Palace just before the international break. So. They look like they're in form, and you know, it's like they're due a bad run, four, four straight defeats. Well, I'm thinking, <coughs> so <Definitely. laughs> well, you, you, you don't, you don't that they continue with Goodison, and I think you know, for for Silver, it you know, relieves that some of that pressure mm. somewhat. I don't think that it, it it relieves the pressure totally at all because oh, no. you know, this is still this is still a dreadful run of form that Everton find themselves in, whether they win this game or not. Uh, uh, for the players, you've got to hope that that gives them the confidence that they can uh, push back up the table because, you know, the, the Everton do find themselves in the relegation zone at the minute, but it's not as if they're not... Yeah, it's not as if we've been cut off from that top six at all or anything like that. Like, there's still... It's so early. Still, yeah, is- exactly. There's still loads of time for Everton to be able to push themselves back up. Uh, and then for the mood around Goodison Park, I think it would just be a mood of relief more than anything else. You know, you you've like, when you get in this sort of run of form you know especially with you know a game against West Ham they're a tough opponents you know it's it's sometimes hard to see where the light at the end of the tunnel is like hopefully if if a win comes in this West Ham game then you're thinking oh, all right then suddenly a trip to the south coast against Brighton you know it, it's not going to be an easy match don't get me wrong but if you've just beat West Ham then you're thinking all right well we can we can be beat Brighton there and then you're looking ahead to that cup game and you're thinking, right, it, finals yeah, on the horizon. Exactly. So they all, instantly it just breeds that little bit more confidence. So yeah, you you've just got to hope that they can uh, get get a win on the board because any anything other than that and you're just thinking that the mood is just gonna it's gonna turn turn for the worst. Well, yeah, and we have to obviously have to think about what in the worst case scenario and, and a fifth straight defeat happens, what does that do to the situation? So <laughs> And look, and we have you know, it's it's tough, isn't it? Because I do generally think it, it is just such a. I generally just want to be sat here tomorrow at half four with three points under our belt because I just think either options, all the options, if we lose, are just so grim because then it's you know sticking with a manager who's got you in the relegation zone, five defeats on the spin with all the top six essentially to play in December. You know, if you, and then if you lose, the other option is to sack them. And, and you look at that list out there, and you know you see a lot of people kind of online kind of saying, "I'll oh, get this guy from Sweden and this guy from Germany and Ajax." And again, it would just for a club of Everton's size, it's it's just a punt, isn't it? You, you don't know how they're going to do. You, and, no one, and it would be a punt going into, as you say, hell of a run of fixtures. Exactly, and, and, and to throw them into that, yeah, yeah. <coughs> into that run is is difficult, and I think. You know that will all, and obviously that's it's no reason to keep a manager just because of the fixtures. No, and, and, no, of course. But at the same time, you know, it, it also has to has to be taken into account, and I think it is just such a a, a difficult and, and horrible situation that can all be kind of obviated in the in these next three games. And you know, now you've got to take it each game at a time. But tomorrow is the perfect start to kind of go out there and and not just win. But I don't really think this is the kind of game where. I'll, I'd take it right now. I'd, I'd bite your hand off for it, but I don't really want it to be a kind of last minute in off someone's shoulder type game. I want us to go out there They're and show. They're my goals. There. They had good goals. In, in, in a way, though, that 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 like well, sort of outpour, outpour of emotion that I, I think be. that could that could be. A... But I would love to just. I would love it. 
we just kind of went out there and just played some some really nice footy and maybe if Gomez and Delph were both available and you know Richarlison got a goal and Sigurdsson got a goal and we won 2-3-0 or three nil and, and just sent a, a bit of a statement then to Brighton and Southampton and said, look, we're, we're going to turn up and you know, this isn't a team who uh, are getting beat at home to Sheffield United and, and getting rolled o- over by... With all due respect, what from what I said, a poor Bournemouth team. So, yeah, the, the defeat for I think, me. I think Burnley are worse. Yeah, that's Burnley, Burnley, Burnley yeah. weren't great. Yeah, they were you awful. Know, and, and these yeah. the games were losing, and you know, considering, I, I don't think any of us would be kind of ashamed to admit when the fixture list came out. You are sitting there thinking, but hell, October the fifteenth probably be top seven or eight wins out of eight. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you kind of do that every season. It's, it's a natural confidence, but you know, if if one of you would have said we'd be eighteenth, you probably would have been like. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and it's so disappointing again to, to be in this situation and, and it genuinely is, I think, you know, it is it is quite quite kind of gut-wrenching sometimes just because it does just seem like it keeps happening and keeps happening and keeps happening and, and again, another reason for not getting rid of silver would probably be the kind of mid-season sack and always just, does break just the, kind of lead break to Break the cycle a, a little bit and, and stick yeah. with, yeah. And that is why a, a win would just, or a couple of wins in these next few games and, and let's see where we can go because... At the end of the day, if you get on another run, and know it's a little bit of an earlier stage in the season, you get another run like you did last season. You know, you come January, February time, you, you'll probably be again, maybe in a position to challenge like we was towards the back end of last season. But, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, but the, the season starts tomorrow and it, and it has to start tomorrow and it has to start with three points because you don't want to know what Goodison's going to be like if, if they win. You don't want to know what Goodison's going to be like if we don't win or it's a poor performance. Uh, and Marco Silva certainly doesn't want to know what the outcome will, will be for him personally if we lose tomorrow because I, I don't personally think it'd be very good. Okay, of course, it could be a draw, of course, with, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of doesn't really answer too many questions anyway. But um, so wrap up uh, today's podcast with the customary predictions. Adam, what's your prediction for the game? It's going to be a tight one. Um, I'm going to go for a fairly late Everton winner. I think 2 1. Sam? Uh, 3-1 <laughs> up the top yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah confident of a victory probably rather stupidly confident but yeah I think 2-1 feels right I don't think it will keep a clean sheet but mm. I think we'll get over the line yeah, and Yarmolenko is still playing for them yeah and get away <laughs> is Zabaleta still playing for them I think so yeah is he yeah, yeah I hope so yeah I don't think he plays though does he he probably won't. Probably won't. Probably won't. Game, won't. Now, <laughs> probably won't but I think Ryan Fredericks is there. Ah, start, oh, Fredericks, starting right yeah. back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, well, we will see tomorrow. Team news dropping uh, around 11.30 and we'll bring you that as soon as we get it. So thank you, chaps, for your company and thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.